right, good evening, everyone. Go ahead and grab your Bibles if you got them there. Turn to guess what book? Jonah. And while you're there, you can flip on over to chapter 3. And that's where we're going to be tonight for part of the time. Um, let's see. We are going to be starting just jumping right into the Scripture and taking a look at this story. We just saw it played out right in front of us, so let's recap. Um, we've seen uh, Jonah get called by God the first time, and then he's like, nope, he runs the other way, he gets in the boat, storm goes crazy, they try to save him, they can't, kick him overboard, fish, puke, that's where we were, right? And then tonight we see uh, the story continue, and it starts like this in chapter 3, you should be there by now, Jonah chapter 3, and it says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, here's what God says in verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. That's where the story should have started, right? And he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. That's a big city. Three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, and here's what he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It's a sign of mourning, a sign of repentance, uh, was to humble yourself by putting on sackcloth. It's like the lowest thing you can do. Uh, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals Herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so we see uh, chapter 3 right there, just 10 short verses. We see what the whole book of Jonah should have been. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell them this. He's like, yes, sir. He gets there and he goes, hey, guys, I have a message for you. And they repent, end of story. Jonah and the Ninevites throw a party. And then he goes back where he came from. Story's over. It's what it should have been. Uh, but what this story shows us and what it brings out is really this... Uh, this concept of repentance and God, what, what happened really was that the Ninevites were rebelling against a holy God. They were sinning against a holy God. We talked about sin and the ramifications of it on our first time. And then we talked about the holiness, the goodness and greatness of God this morning. And really, that's where it all comes together. We had to cover that idea. What is sin and why is it a problem? Otherwise, sinning against a holy God doesn't matter unless you understand what sin is. And then sinning against a holy God doesn't matter unless you realize that this God is holy. He's set apart. He's great. He's good. Who is this we've sinned against? And now that we know those two truths, who it is that we're sinning against, and the, the problem of sin, the severity of sin, and you put all that together, and then you say, we have sinned against a holy God. That sentence takes on more weight. And that's what we want to dive into tonight is this concept. Um, see, I grew up in a, in a home where uh, my mom went to church, my dad did not, 
And I learned about Scripture. I learned about God uh, from going to Sunday school classes and listening uh, to preachers preach uh, from God's Word and, and teachers teaching. And, and, I, and I had this great upbringing. We went to church all the time. I grew up in Mississippi. We went on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday uh, night. We would go three times during the week to church. Uh, and then sometimes they'd have these revivals where some preacher would come. He'd preach every night of the week. And then we'd go every night of the week. And he would share the good news of what God has done. To, so that as many people as possible would know uh, that they can be forgiven of their sins. And so I grew up with this message, but I also grew up not fully understanding the, the true nature of God. I grew, I grew up learning about the sin, but not the goodness of God. And what I ended up with was this lack of assurance of God's love for me. I grew up with this lack of trust in God for anything other than that he would punish me for the evil that I had done. And so I grew up with this fear. And so I remember this story when I was, I think, nine. I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was eight years old. It's an easy thing to do. A little kid can do it. Um, but in that, my, my faith and my knowledge of God was, was lacking. All I knew was that I needed to, to ask for forgiveness because I'd sinned against the holy God. So I did. But then I lived in fear because I didn't fully understand God. And so I remember this story when I was about nine years old, about a year later. Um, in the summertime, my parents both went to work, and then my sister was older than me, and so we would stay at home, and it would just be the two of us. And my sister would sleep in late, I'd wake up early, and I'd flip on the TV and start watching cartoons and pull a big old bowl of cereal, and I'd be, you know, the little, like, nine-year-old kid, you know, almost, like, pretending like I'm running the house until my sister woke up. And I'm in there in the, in the living room just eating a big bowl of cereal, watching TV, and then all of a sudden, I hear this loud sound this rumble that just grows and the windows of my house just started shaking. And all of a sudden, all these stories that I heard about the Bible, about Jesus coming back and the world's going to end. And when it does, if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. And I was like, oh no, oh no. The window started shaking in this rumble and I was like, here it is. I'm sure I did something. This is it. I'm probably going to go to hell now. And I was like afraid for my life. And what had happened, I found out later, was about three miles away from our house was this fireworks factory. And they had an explosion in the fireworks factory. And it literally blew a crater in the ground. No one was there, but it, something caught on fire and literally the entire fireworks factory disappeared. And, this, and this, this rumble came across our entire community. People heard it for miles around. I was about three miles away and my whole house just started shaking and the windows rattled. And I was like, here comes, Jesus is coming. I'm probably a sinner and I'm not going to heaven. And I was like, feared for my life. So I run over to the window. I'm looking out the window. Like I remember something about trumpets. So I'm like listening. I remember something about the sky rolling open and I'm like looking and I'm like, where is it? When's it coming? I'm either going to hell or heaven. What's happening? And I remember as a nine-year-old kid freaking out because I didn't have this full understanding of who God was. I didn't have a full understanding of the nature of, of the goodness and the greatness of God. I only understood sin and condemnation. And that was all that was ever taught to me. Um, and I hadn't gotten to the good parts, the good news of the, the gospel. I'd only known that I was a sinner headed for hell unless I was perfect. And that's what I believe. Um, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. And uh, if I can get the whiteboard up here. Uh, Maddie, is that up, uh, ready for us? Um, I want to get into a verse because here's a verse I want to read as, as they're bringing that up. And it's in the book of 1 John. It's at the very end, right before Revelation. Um, it says this, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, we find this truth. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. 
And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And so this idea, the love of God, is something that was foreign to me. It's not something that I fully understood. So we're, we're not going to go through the whole timeline. It can fit it on the board now. So, um, so what I wanted to talk about with this uh, is this perfect love that drives out fear. Um, I didn't get that message. And so I wanted to describe to you guys what I learned later in the Bible the part that I was missing. Because I think if you walk into uh, the truth of God and you're only looking at it from God and this misconception of him as this judge who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can go, ha, gotcha, and then cast you out, um, then you've got a wrong picture of who God is. And you've, got a, and you've got a broken conception. And that's what I had. And it was later in life that I fully understood who this God was. Um, and what we find is that this God loved us so much um, as we look at our timeline We'll recreate some of this. We have the Father, right? We have the Son. We have the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, eternal, Father in heaven, and then Son. We'll start here in the New Testament. In the New Testament, um, it begins with a star in Bethlehem, what we celebrate as Christmas, and a little baby in a manger, right? And then what I told you guys, 30 years of his life that we know. Um, at the New Testament, it begins with the Gospels that tell us the story in the life of Jesus Christ. And then he spends three years um, teaching, and he starts his ministry here. And we see, remember I told you guys the Holy Spirit, and we see this Trinity come when Jesus begins his ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist. This is my beloved Son in whom I love, and I'm well pleased. Remember that part? Um, so this starts here, and we see the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, and the Father speaking, saying, this is my Son, and we see the Trinity in the Scripture right there. And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and then goes back. And then, and then Jesus spends three years teaching people after going into the wilderness and being tested and withstanding the test using Scripture and truth. He resists the devil, lives a perfect life, and then teaches this is how the kingdom of heaven is really like. Some of you have got it wrong. I had it wrong as a nine-year-old kid. And through the understanding the teachings of Jesus, I now have a better picture of really what he came to teach, really what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And so with this uh, in mind, that Jesus coming, so we have the Son come to earth, and now he's on earth, and he lives this life, 30 years and then 33, and then he goes to a cross. And what we find in Scripture is that we need to be saved from that sin that we talked about that started all the way back in the Old Testament with Adam and Eve, that choice that was given them, and they chose the wrong thing, which was disobedience rather than obedience and living in that perfect love. They chose to disobey and broke that communion with God, and God's been working on that salvation plan ever since. We hear the, the prophet saying, a Messiah will come. Jesus came to earth and then lived among us. And this is what takes us into a few truths that we have to understand before we can go into the next part. And there's three of them that I want to tell you, the three that I didn't fully get as a young kid. And we typically um, describe them as the solas. And what it means is they're, they're only. Sola just literally means only. That's all it is. So there's three of them that I want to talk about. And it's sola gratia, sola fide, and sola... Christus. They sound really fancy because it's Latin, but translated, it literally just means only grace, only faith, only Christ. 
And those three truths are what I was missing as a nine-year-old. I had salvation, but I didn't fully understand who had saved me. I didn't fully understand this Christ and this relationship and this kingdom of God that I was living in as someone who had surrendered my life, someone who had asked for forgiveness. And so what we understand and what Scripture says, I want to walk you through where these truths that I discovered that will set a framework for the, the other part we need to get to, is that we understand it like this, that faith in Christ comes through grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's how salvation comes to us. Only through gr- grace, only through faith, and only through Christ. And it's nothing else. And with, through these three truths, we see this how God loves us. And so I want to point out each of these. Grace alone we see in Ephesians. So I want to take you to the book of Ephesians and read this to you. This is what uh, the writer to the church in Ephesus, which is why the book's called Ephesians, he says this in chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Regarding grace, he says this. As he's describing Christ and how we are made alive in him, he says, but because of his great love, remember love was that key at the beginning? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. The other half of the verse says, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The core of that truth comes in that it is through grace alone, nothing we did. You see, as a nine-year-old kid, I thought I'd receive God's grace, but then I also had to be good and follow these rules and don't do this and do this. Otherwise, my salvation was null. Now, my life in Christ, my becoming more like him, that was what I was supposed to be doing with the rules of Scripture, with the obedience, becoming more like Christ, following him and being a disciple, disciplining myself to be obedient. But that wasn't a part of my salvation. My salvation, my freedom from sin, like Israel, when they were freed from Egypt, they were slaves, literally, put to work against their will, and they cried out to God, God, save us. God heard their cry and miraculously pulled them out of Egypt and set them free as a picture of what he would do in our lives. When we recognize that we are slaves to sin and we cry out to God and say, God, I'm a slave to sin, save me, he hears our cry, he pulls us out of that slavery and he sets us free. And that then, because of his great love for us, we then follow in obedience. But too many times we think that following in obedience is what keeps us saved. And that's not what it is. That's not how the Bible teaches. It's not about us working really hard to keep our salvation. Because then what it means is Christ sacrificed for you and your good works is what saves you. But it's not. It's his grace, not what you did. You can't save yourself. The Bible says it's while we were dead that Christ came and died for us. While we were helpless, he came to save us. There's nothing we could do in and of ourselves. We need Christ and Christ alone. And then he goes on. And in the sola fide, uh, we turn to Hebrews. And in Hebrews, it says this. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in verse 6, I want to read. It says this. Oh, I got to go back one. 
11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's in the middle of a chapter of people who live their life by faith in God. People who were counted as righteous simply because of their faith. Nothing that they did simply because they said, I trust you, God. And that verse, it is by faith that we believe. And that's it. So it's only in the grace of God, the fact that he chose to save us. Not because we were worthy of it, but because of who he is, the character, the greatness, the goodness of God. He loves us. And in that love, that goodness, that greatness, he says, I will be gracious to you. You don't deserve it. You actually deserve death. But I'm going to give you what you don't deserve because of who I am. Because I'm a good, great God and I'm a God of love, I will give to you something that you didn't earn. And so there's nothing you can do to get it. It's simply because he goes, here it is. It's a gift. It's almost like your birthday. You go to your birthday, have you felt like you earned your birthday gifts because you lived another year? That's kind of the, the, the broken mentality that you have to have. Of like, thank you for bringing me all these gifts for doing such a great job of being alive one more year. I've done such a hard work to be here and make it to this next birthday. Thank you. Everyone, please surrender your gifts to me. Like, that would be crazy to think that way. In the same way, that's what this is. It's described as a gift. It's not something you earned. It's something your friend came and goes, you know what? I love you. I'm a part of your life. I want to offer you something out of the love I have for you, out of the relationship we have. I want to offer you something as a gift. And then you take it and you'll thank you because you believe that it's a good gift and you receive it. That's why it's described as a gift in the Bible. The salvation that we received is a gift from God. Not because of what we did, but because of who he is. And so he goes on. And then in Sola Christus, takes us to John, the book of John, chapter 14. And I want to read this to you. John is an amazing book. If you ever want to sit down and read a whole book, read through John and it'll blow your mind. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says this. This is Jesus himself. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So if you ever hear someone say that Jesus didn't claim to be God, that's one verse where he did. He was like, I'm going to the Father and, then, and he's like, well, how do we know where you're going? And he's like, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's Jesus saying, I am God. I am the only way to God because I am God. And then he says, you, um, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father. And then he goes, because now you've seen him. It's me. I'm God. Jesus is claiming to be God because it's real. So he can make that statement of saying, I am the way. Because you could be a crazy person and say that. If I stood up here and said, hey, everyone, my name's Kip, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. You guys would be like, this guy's cuckoo, right? Because obviously I'm not God. And Jesus would be just as crazy if he wasn't God. But he was, and he claimed to. And then we see that. And in John, when he begins his book, John's whole point in here is to, is to clearly define who God is. And as John begins his entire book, he starts with this. In the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, in the beginning, even before that, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then he goes on and he talks about John the Baptist. When John baptized him, John goes to preach that someone's coming. This Messiah you've been waiting for, he's almost here. Jesus is that guy. And then it says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus became a human. We thought he was going to show up as a king. He showed up as a baby. He broke the mold and he, and he flipped what everyone thought was going to happen upside down. He came as a, as a baby. And then it says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes on and he says, Out of his fullness we have received grace and in place of grace already given. And then he talks about the contrast between the law and grace and, and basically says, You can try to keep the law, but you can't. And so therefore you need something greater than the law. You need something better than rules. Because it doesn't work when you have one in the garden. It didn't work when you had ten in the desert. And it's not going to work no matter how many you have. Because we are broken. We need something greater than the law. We need the law giver to forgive us. And so he set a path out to go, we can be forgiven of all disobedience, all sin. And here's how it works. I'm going to take that from you. Now I could say that, hey guys, cast all your sins on me. I'll take them. And you'd be like, cuckoo. And you should, because I'm just a human. I have my own sin, my own faults. I need to be saved, so I can't do it for you. So the only one who could was Jesus, because he lived a perfect life. So it's solo Christus, only in Christ, because of who he is, because he is God, because he came to earth, suffered, and died for us. That is why we can see this. So it says right here in our story, Jesus lived 30 years his teaching for three, and then he went to the cross, and he went and died and rose again three days later, which is where we celebrate Easter, a risen Savior. Jesus went to a cross, died, and rose again. Let me read this to you. I want to put some content to this. When Jesus goes to the cross, I'm going to turn back just a couple pages in Luke, chapter 23. Luke's another one of the gospel writers, the guys who tells the story of the good news. Luke's a doctor. He goes descriptive, line by line, explaining the story, giving context, and he gives us one of the broadest pictures of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. His life, he puts together a, a clear account of who Jesus is. That was his goal. He says it at the very beginning. I'm writing this so that you have a clear account of who Jesus was. And as he gets to the end, as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, he says this, starting in verse 13. It said, Pilate, who was the Roman uh, governor at that time, it says, Pilate called together the chief priests and rulers of the people and said to them, You brought this man, Jesus, as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. So Pilate got him, and Pilate's like, I don't want to get these guys mad at me, so I'll send him over to Herod, make Herod make the decision. And then they'll be mad at Herod. Herod's like, I don't have anything wrong with him. So Herod sends him back to Pilate. Now Pilate's standing here going, hey, I didn't find anything wrong with him. Herod didn't find anything wrong with him. Anything you're accusing him of, he's innocent of. And so he goes on and he says this, Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. 
But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. So they're like, Let go the, re- the rebel and the murderer and kill Jesus, who's innocent. That's what the crowd was shouting. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder and the one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. So Pilate deems Jesus innocent, doing nothing wrong, and lets a murderer and an insurrectionist go and then sends Jesus to his death, which is part of God's plan all along. So then it says this, if you cruise down to verse 32, he says this, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, or Golgotha was the name of it, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So there's three guys there. Where's Jesus? In the middle. So when you see that picture, three crosses on a hill, there's a place called Golgotha, just outside the city. It looked like a skull. And they would put the crosses up there. And Jesus was crucified there with two criminals on either side, one on either side, one on his left, one on his right, Jesus in the middle. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is hanging on a cross with two guys on either side of him, a crowd standing below, cheering at him, mocking him. And he cries out to God, forgive them. You see, his heart from the beginning, the reason he came was for forgiveness. He taught to bring them forgiveness. He went to a cross where he asked for their forgiveness from a God who loves these people enough to sacrifice his own son to take their sin and die because sin Deserves death, and somebody's got to die for it. And here's where he says, And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. So they're making fun of Jesus as he hangs on the cross. He's been saying he's from God. If he is, he could save himself. Let him do that. That'd be awesome. Hey, Jesus, do a miracle and save yourself. See, the problem is that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to save himself. Otherwise, he could have. He could have hopped down off that cross and walked home. and No one could have stopped him. But that wasn't his plan. It says, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. See, this is a bit of a mockery here. You see, as they would crucify people, they'd put them on crosses and they'd stamp their crimes up, ahead, up above them. You see, Golgotha was right outside the city. Most cities had walls. And as you passed the roads on the way into the city, you would see the criminals. In the, in the Roman times, this was a way to deter crime, right? So you heard at the beginning of camp, there were some like rules, some 4Ms, and, and then they said, hey, if you brought something you shouldn't have or whatever. But if you drove up the hill 
And on the way in, there was like a person hanging from a cross, and it said, this person was messing around. You guys would be like, whoa, these guys are serious about messing around. Hey, don't mess around, man. Did you see the guy on the cross? And then another guy next to him is like, be at all meals. And you're like, better get to the meals. I think it's meal time. Let's go early, right? Like, that's what they did on the crosses. They would put their crime above them. And as you walked into that city of Jerusalem, you'd be like, okay, don't murder, don't steal, don't. And you would look at all the things that you're not supposed to do when you're in this city because these guys are serious, dead serious, literally. And as Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, they didn't know what to put above him. So they kind of made a joke in a sense, and they said, this man's the king of the Jews. That was his crime, being a king of his chosen people who he came to save. That's what he died for. Okay, don't be the king of the Jews in this city, because they don't want one. This is when it keeps going. It says, there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Let's just pick one. We'll say the guy on the right. So one of them hurled insults at him. And he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So you've got a crowd of people going, hey, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? And he's just hanging there going, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then you've got these soldiers who their job is to kill these guys. And they're making fun of Jesus. Hey, aren't you the king of the Jews? That's what it says above your head. Why don't you save yourself? Kings don't die on crosses. Kings rule armies and command legions and set rules and enforce their domain. And they own territory and castles. That's what kings do. So they looked at him like, you're no king. And they made fun of him. And he died for them too. And now you got a guy hanging on the cross next to him with a sign above his head, most likely, that said something. It was a crime that he did. And he's hanging there on a cross, and his sign was true. He deserved to be hanging there. And he's looking at Jesus going, hey, if you are the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? And hey, while you're at it, can you get me out of this? Can you get us out of this mess too? But the other criminal, assume that's the guy on this side, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And then Jesus looks over at the guy and he says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, I love this story because it paints a picture of so many truths that I didn't know when I was a nine-year-old kid. I didn't fully understand what Jesus did on the cross. I understood I was a sinner. I understood God sent his son to save me. And I knew that I had to repent for my sin. I knew that God wanted to save me. I got all of that. But I didn't understand all of it. And tonight I want you guys to understand all of it. I want you to understand that there is a God who's been here long before we were. He was a creative God, a loving God, a God of greatness and goodness. A God who displays His power for us to see. If you've ever looked at creation, I don't care how big you look or small you look, 
I don't know how you can deny that somebody did this and they did it on purpose. And that same somebody made you. And if you believe those words, that same person loves you enough to send his own son to a cross to be mocked by the crowd, to be mocked by the guards, to be mocked by the guys dying next to him. And the only thing going through his mind is forgive them. Because that's what he came for. He came for forgiveness. And everyone can receive that forgiveness when we recognize that sin is our problem and Jesus is our answer. And that it is only because of who he is and his grace that he offered us this gift. And only if we in faith believe that he is who he says he is and that we receive that gift in faith that we can be forgiven because we believe God is who he says he is. And that there's no other way except through Christ alone. That's God's plan for us. It's his son, Jesus Christ. And he went to a cross, even though he didn't want to. It says that his humanity didn't want to go. Because he's fully God and fully man. He suffered along with us. He's familiar with our suffering and our heartache. Because he lived a life for 30 years. And then he taught publicly for three years where people made fun of him. And then he went to a cross and died even though he was innocent. And he did all of it out of obedience to a father who says, this is what it's going to take to let all of these people come back and have the relationship that I set up in the garden a long time ago where we have a relationship that's no longer marred by sin. And his plan continues on. You see, Jesus rose again, and then he was on the earth for 40 more days, it says. And he went about, some people saw him, he taught. And after those 40 days, he met with his disciples on a hillside. And he told them, go and teach them what I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And know that I'm with you, even to the end of the age. And then it says he ascended into heaven. We'll do that. Little Jesus. Superman. And he ascended up into heaven. It says they stand there and they watched him go up. And they're still staring at the sky. He's gone. And an angel pops up and goes, what are you doing staring at the sky, guys? He's gone. And he goes, go. Do what he said to do. He says, by the way, you'll see him come back in the same way that he left. So we know that he's coming back. And he promises that he's going to return. And then you get into like Revelation. And we won't get into all that part right now. It's a little tricky. Um, but this is where we are. He promised that I have to go so that a helper will come. And the Holy Spirit came. It's a gift that marks us and seals us. For everyone who surrenders their life to Christ, we have the Spirit of God living in us until the day that He comes back. And now we find ourselves right smack dab somewhere in here in what we call the church age. We don't know if it's here. We don't know if it's here. We don't know if it's here. Somewhere in here between Jesus leaving and His Spirit coming and the time He comes back is where we are. The rest of the books of the Bible were written in this period to the other churches and the other believers, telling them this is how you live until the day he comes back. And then John ended up on an island in Patmos after they tried to boil him in oil, but they couldn't kill him. God saved him because he wasn't done with him. So they exiled him to an island where he received a revelation and told us what was going to happen at the end. And that's the only other book that we get from John. But this, all of it was written in this period here. And that was before us, wherever we are on this timeline, we don't know. All we know is we're somewhere in here and that this part's going to happen eventually. And if we die before that happens, then we face God. 
Or we're here until that time happens, at which we will see God. What I thought as a nine-year-old was actually happening at that moment. Luckily, it didn't. Um, but this is the story of us. This is the story of God. This is the story that the Bible teaches us. And I wanted you guys to see the full picture, that this is the same story that Jonah was trying to free the Ninevites. Jesus came in the same way to say, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is now. I have come to bring heaven to, to your front doorstep so that you can know the goodness and the fullness of God. You can receive his forgiveness. And there's no other way except through me. Believe in me. So the gratia, so the fide, so the Christus. By grace alone, you didn't deserve it. By faith alone, you have to trust and believe who he is, what he says he is. And through Christ alone. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That's it. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus died, sounds kind of morbid, but defeated death. In his death, the good news is his death paid your penalty. Because if he didn't do it, you'd have to do it. So this is the choice and just is the moment that we talked about the first time we met. Is this same choice is presented to everyone who hears it. You now know the truth of Scripture. You now know the good news is that there is salvation in Christ. There is freedom of sin in Christ. The love of the Father, the love of God that created everything has been given to us. And we simply receive it like a gift, not because of anything that we did. We simply believe in Christ and who he said he was. And when we simply bow our heart to him and go, man, I am a sinner. I believe you're God. And I need to be saved from my sin. Thank you for taking my sin and dying on the cross for it. And thank you for beating death by coming back to life so that I don't have to face death, but rather can have eternal life. It's a gift that we receive when we surrender our life to Christ. And so, you guys now, or either this guy, going, hey, why don't you save yourself and save me while you're at it, and mock Jesus and his death on the cross. Or you can be this guy who goes, man, I deserve everything that I did. The sign above my head is true. I am a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. Jesus, please remember me when you're in paradise. And Jesus tells him, because of his repentance and his belief, and who Jesus was, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There wasn't anything that, there's nothing that guy could have done. That guy died that day. And Jesus Christ himself says, that guy's going to go to heaven. Even though he had a sign above his head that said criminal. Same sign that we all have above our head. We are all criminals in God's eyes. And he goes, but I don't want you to die for it. Please receive the gift that I offer you. I loved you enough to send my own son. I've been trying to catch you guys this whole time. I've been showing you who I am all throughout history. And then I actually came into history with you guys because I love you that much. And so here's the question I put in front of you. Here's the moment. Some of you may be sitting there going, oh, dang. I never thought about it like this before. Oh, dang, this is serious. And your heart might be beating a little bit going, if this is real, i got to do something. Now, like that decision I talked about at the beginning of the week, you can look at it and go, believe or disbelieve, 
or you can go, eh, I don't feel like it. You can walk away. You have that choice. God gives you the choice to completely ignore him because he loves you that much. Or you can face the truth that I just shared with you and make a decision. If you've never come to that point, I was an eight-year-old kid sitting in the back of a church who heard basically the same thing that I just told you guys, that I was a sinner and God loves me and provided a way for me to be free from my sin. And it cost him his life. That's how much he loved me. And I was like, I believe that, but I've never done that. And as an eight-year-old kid, I stood up, walked down to the front of that church, knelt down by myself, and I prayed, God, I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my heart. Take away all my sin. I want to I live eternally in heaven with you, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. And as an eight-year-old kid, you don't got to be a rocket scientist. I surrendered my life to Christ. Now, I've been straightening out my theology since then because there were some things people told me that led me off course at times. But my salvation was secure that day because I, in a sincere heart, believed who God was and knew who I was. And I offered myself before God and said, I need you. Forgive me. Come into my life and change me. You're now Lord. I'm dead. My life is your life. Let me live for you. And so I want to offer that decision to you guys right now, that choice to you guys. If you've never done that, you could be like me. Oh, I've been going to church my whole life, but I've never actually surrendered my life to Christ. I know people who've done that. Don't make that mistake tonight. Walk out of here thinking, but what would happen if people thought this whole time I was a Christian and I wasn't because I was just acting like a Christian? And I never actually surrendered my life to Christ. Or if you've just been turning your back on him and going, not for me, not for me, not for me. Don't go another day. It's a life or death decision. It's the greatest decision you can make in your life. The most important decision you can make in your life might be this time and this space. So I simply want to ask you this. I'm going to pray. And you know your heart. You're the only one who does. I simply want to ask you that if in this moment you know that you need to stop and pray and surrender your life to Christ, to confess your sin to Him, to confess your belief in Him for who He is, and ask Him to take away your sin, I'm going to ask you to pray as I pray to do that. And then I want to share something else with you right after that. Let me pray. And if that is your heart, you take this moment and you confess to God your belief in him and your sin, and he will take it away. And that's good news. Let me pray. Father, I just pray that right now, if there's anyone sitting in this room who has never surrendered their life to you, they've never come to a moment in space and time, like tonight, where they've said, God, I'm a sinner. And I believe that you are who you say you are. And I can't believe this good news I've never received, this gift that I've never accepted of your forgiveness, the forgiveness of a God who loves me so much he gave his own son to die in a horrible death to pay my sin that I deserve. Father, if there's anyone here who's never stopped and prayed an honest prayer to you like that, I pray that right now they're doing it. God, I pray that along with them, that you would fill them with the joy of knowing 
that they are forgiven, that you would speak to their heart right now and tell them that they are loved and that you don't want them to go another day without knowing this forgiveness. Amen. Now here's the other problem. I know some of you guys have been to church for a while, and you probably prayed that prayer. You probably have a story like mine. I was 8 years old. I was 12 years old. I was 9 years old. Last week, whenever, you've surrendered your life to Christ. You've been living your life. But there's constant reminders in Scripture to those of you who have forgiveness to not live in the old life, but to live in the newness that God has given you. And I would be a fool to believe that no one here has a sin in their heart that they've been holding on to that they know that they need to get rid of. Something that they know is directly against what God said. They've been Jonah. You're God's people and you're going, nope, I'm going to go this way. Even though I know you said go that way. And it might be in the way that you live your life, the way you think or act or what you do what you look at, what you listen to, what you say, whatever. There's tons of ways to disobey God when you know you shouldn't. The Bible even says if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, that's sin. So if there's even something you know you're supposed to do and you haven't done it, now's the time to make a commitment to that God who at one point you surrendered your life to Him and now you're living like He's not your God. Like Jonah, you're trying to get away from a God who owns the sea. Rather than saying, I need to get back on track. I need to turn around and start walking with you again. I'd be a fool to think there's not someone here that that fits your story. And so I want to give you a choice. Another time and another space, another moment right now for you to confess that. And to do some business with God that you need to spend some time going, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to keep this up. I need to stop. I need to change. I need to turn around. I need to go back. And be obedient. I'm going to pray again, and I want to give you just a moment to just confess whatever it is. Put it into words, and in your own heart, pray and confess that. And repent and come back. The Bible says that God will forgive us again and again and again. He's a persistent and faithful God. Let me pray. Father, I pray for those right now whose heart is beating because they know their sin in their life and they know better. There are people who, in this room right now, Father, I believe, who came to this camp and they've dealt with the shame and the guilt, maybe even just hidden, that they've been living a lie that's contrary to the truth they proclaim. They've been denying your power in their life. They've been denying the truth of your word, and they've been living against it. Just pray that right now that they would feel the, the love of a father who goes, it's okay. I understand. I get it. I love you and I forgive you. Father, I thank you that you are a God who forgives. A God whose love has no end. A God who never says, nope, that's enough. But a God who even people like Nineveh, you have a heart for. A murderous nation who you go, I just want you to repent and come back. Follow me. I love you. No matter how far you've gone, I love you. Father, thank you that you're that kind of a God. I pray tonight that 
those who need it would remember it and receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I want to do. We're going we're gonna to dismiss from here. And if you were in that first prayer and you surrendered your life to Christ, praise God. You have been forgiven. You have been renewed. You have a new life in Christ. It is worth celebrating. It is worth sharing. It's not something that we hide, keep to ourselves. And if you were in that second group and you go, man, I was just dealing with some stuff. This was so good for me and I needed to this week. And the whole week I was afraid to do it. But tonight I did it. I prayed and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for some help. I want my brothers and sisters around me to help for me to follow Christ. I'm going to ask you if you're in any of those two categories, that if you would begin that journey of obedience and proclaiming the good news in your own life by simply standing up when I count to three. And it was tough. You're like, oh man, Kip, why are you doing this to me? And your heart's beating right now like, shoot, I have to stand up in front of everybody? It's okay. I guarantee there's not a person in this room who doesn't know why you're standing up and hasn't been there before themselves and, uh, and won't love you and care for you more than you've ever known. There are pastors and counselors here who are here to love for you and pray for you and help you. This is the safest place you're going to find to make that stand. So on the count of three, if that's you, one, two, three. Thank you. Good. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we do have some other activities. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much for standing up, guys. We have some other activities, but, but this was the moment. This was the time. This was the space to do business. And unfortunately, if you didn't stand, you make that decision, you'll never have another chance in your life. Just kidding. God is always there. The door is always open. And you didn't miss anything if you didn't pray that prayer. If you didn't stand up right now, you can do it five minutes from now. A week from now, a month from now, right now, God is still here, ready and waiting. You haven't missed a thing. I challenge you to be real at the beginning. Thank you guys, those of you who stood up. There's a group of people who are going to love on you guys and help you and encourage you. Well, here's what I want to ask. If that was you that stood up, stay back. All the rest of you, uh, in just a minute, I'm going to pray one more time. I'll dismiss you guys back to your cabins. Those of you who stay, counselors will want to come and just chat with you real quick, pray, answer any questions you might have. But here's my other challenge. This space is just going to be here. You're basically either going back to your cabin or you're staying here. So even if you didn't stand up, you just go, man, I just, I don't want to walk out right now for whatever reason. This is a place of prayer. This is a place for you guys. And there's nothing else going on on the schedule for a little bit. We'll, we'll get the other stuff going on later. So you're not missing anything. We've set aside this time in this program, in this schedule, in this camp for this. So if you just want to stay here and pray, stay. If you don't, go back to your cabin. That's fine. Please don't mess around. They'll crucify you in the street if you do. Um, just kidding. They won't. But, uh, but really, that's what this time is for. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of just doing business with God. Even if you go back to your cabin, you can do that. Get out your... Journal and just journal. What's going on in your heart? Talk to God. Just be honest with him. If you're still wrestling, 
And if you feel like coming back in, I've seen it a hundred times. Somebody walk out that door, five minutes later, they walk back in, they go, I shouldn't have walked out. If that's you, then get back in here. If you walk out, and the second you walk out, you're like, I shouldn't have walked out. Turn right around and get back in here. All right? Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other way except through you. And Father, I thank you you didn't hide that from us. You made that so clear to us in so many ways. And Father, I thank you right now for those who made a decision tonight, whatever that decision was, whether they stood up or not. There may be somebody who didn't even stand up. That's okay. Father, ultimately, I thank you that you're at at work in the lives of these students. You're going to transform their lives, their families, their communities. um, And you're there with them. And so I thank you for that, that you don't leave us or forsake us, that you walk with us and you encourage us. So, Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray that you'd be glorified in all of this, that all the glory, all the honor, all the praise goes to you, Father, for it was you who loved us enough to save us and no one else. So, Father, thank you. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us so we could have eternal life. Amen.